All right, welcome back. Welcome back to Perch.Church. Again, my name is Al, and I am the pastor of Perch. I have the privilege of being the pastor of Perch for the past uh, four years or so. And today we are continuing on in our Lent series. Um, as we start off today, uh, I wanted to start off by asking you a question. What is something that was so important to you when you were younger that is totally insignificant to you right now? Uh, what is one or what are maybe a couple of those things um, that uh, was so important to you when you were younger that just seemed completely insignificant and irrelevant to you today? Um, for me, for example, uh, you know, I kind of pride, uh, took a lot of pride uh, in the fact that uh, a lot of people thought I was a very funny guy. Um, when I was in high school and when I was in college, I would always be the clown and I would always joke around and I just wanted everyone to think that I was the funniest person in the room. And I took a lot of like pride in that. And that was very, very important to me, actually, like, kind of all throughout my young adult years as well. Uh, but gradually, over the years, um, especially over the last 10 years, for whatever reason, um, you know, being the funniest person in the room is just not as important to me. I don't know why. And, and, and I think part of it was because I came to realize that um, I often used humor as a way to mask or uh, gloss over um, maybe a, a uncom an un uncomfortable feeling that I was feeling, you know, that feeling of awkwardness or feeling of discomfort uh, because um, there was maybe um, a sad topic that was um, kind of lingering uh, that people were talking about or that there was a feeling of uh, grief or maybe anger that was kind of uh, in the room that I wanted to diffuse with humor and I often used humor as a way to deflect uncomfortable emotions and now that I'm uh, older and hopefully <laughs> a little bit more uh, emotionally mature and developed I'm very very comfortable with uncomfortable emotions and that's actually a lot of what I do here as a chaplain in the hospital is enter into people's pain and enter into people's discomfort and for you maybe uh you might resonate a little bit with that but you know what are some of those things that you thought were so important when you were younger that you um it just seems very um insignificant to you today in many ways that's kind of like a little microcosm of the contrast between our life here on earth, living a worldly life and living a spiritual life. We all have our own various um, shadows or kind of uh, minor or less significant goals or desires that we pursue. And these are things that are very, very important to us in the present. But if you were to kind of fast forward 
10, 20, even 50 years later, what are some of those things that you consider so important right now that you probably won't consider to be important 10, 20, or 50 years later? And this, I'm gonna take it even a step further, okay? And this might be kind of hard for many of us to imagine, but let's say we, you're dead, okay? Let's say we die, we leave this earth, and if you believe in heaven or the afterlife, um, and, and then let's say just conceptually, uh, you have full awareness and understanding and uh, memory of your life here on earth. What are some of those things that you would consider to be very important when you're in heaven or when you're in the afterlife um, that are not important uh, uh, here on earth? Or what are some of those things that you consider to be so important here on earth that when you're in heaven and you're looking down, you're like, I can't believe I cared so much about those things. The passage we're going to look at today, um, as we're continuing on in our Lent series, kind of deals with some of those things, that tension that we have between what's very significant in the world that might not be so significant in the spiritual realm uh, that God really wants us to focus on. And the ways that uh, this is kind of uh, contrasted, okay, these are uh, kind of compared and uh, contrasted, is the things that we consider important here on earth are called shadows. Um, but the things that are considered to be very important um, in the spiritual realm or you know what's eternal is substance true substance what are the shadows in this world that we so desperately chase after shadows meaning like they're not things of substance okay they're not things of true substance they're kind of insignificant they're fleeting they're here today gone tomorrow and you know maybe <laughs> Uh, we might consider it extremely important right now, but 10, 20, 50 years from now, would we consider it important? And even if we're in heaven, would we look down and think, oh, I'm really glad I, I really pursued those goals. I made my life all about that. Okay, what are those things in our lives that are like shadows? They're fleeting. They're not of true substance. And what are those things that God really wants us to enter into? And the way that we're going to look at some of these differences, um, especially if you consider yourself to be a person of faith, is by calling the things of true substance a relationship. And the things that we call to be um, shadows or less significant to be religion. That might be a little confusing or maybe con controversial, but it's because God calls us into relationship not religion and that's the central truth for today okay god calls us into relationship not religion and we're kind of gonna turn this whole thing this word religion on its head um and i'm really looking at religion as one of those examples of what's considered to be a shadow to be really not that important <laughs> Uh, and really, 
God is calling us to enter into relationship. God calls us into relationship with God. God calls us into relationship with our neighbors. And God even calls us into relationship with ourselves to go deeper and to know ourselves better. The passage we're going to be looking at today is from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Colossians, chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to this world? Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are designed or that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence <laughs> all right so we just looked at this passage in the book of colossians um, the author of this book is none other than the great apostle paul now paul wrote uh, most of the books in the new testament uh, four of these uh, bu uh, books um, many of these books that paul wrote in the new testament are letters and four of these letters um, have been called the captivity epistles. Okay, epistles is just an older word for letters. Okay, the captivity epistles or captivity letters. And these four books are, or letters are Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and Colossians. Obviously, these four letters were given the nickname captivity epistles because Paul wrote these letters while he was under arrest. Um, now, the fact that um, Paul was in jail when he was writing these letters, um, I don't know about you, but to me, uh, being a fan of like gangster movies and mob movies and uh, things like that, I actually think that's like pretty gangster. I think that's pretty cool that even if he's imprisoned, he doesn't let that stop him from doing what God had called him to do. So I really admire that about Apostle Paul. Now, uh, in this particular letter that Paul wrote to um, the Colossians, 
Uh, it's called Colossians because he, he wrote this letter to the church that was in a city called Colossae. Uh, now, centuries prior to Paul writing this letter, okay, centuries prior to the first century, the city of Colossae used to be a major hub of trade and business for all of Asia Minor. However, over the decades and centuries, Colossae had deteriorated into a second-rate town. Most of the residents of Colossae uh, came from pagan backgrounds, and when most people think of pagans in the ancient Roman world, they assume they were pagans. Um, uh, they, they assume that pagans are not religious, but that actually couldn't be further from the truth. In many ways, pagans were even more religious because they had many gods that they had to satisfy and appease um, rather than just like one god. So, um, and in paganism, uh, the gods constantly had to be um, fed or like um, be given stuff. Uh, but we believe that our God is self-sufficient, you know, He is all-knowing, He is all-powerful, so He doesn't necessarily need anything from us, but the pagans kind of um, had uh, the, a different mentality where they actually believed the gods survived off of the sacrifices and offerings that people give these gods. So in many ways, pagans were even more religious than Jews or, or Christians or um, monotheistic religions. Likewise, we may think that because someone today um, doesn't take on the label of some sort of traditional or institutionalized religion, um, they are not religious. But that's not true. Some of the most religious people I know are avid sports fans. All right, just think about it. Uh, especially like crazy like football fans okay uh, they dedicate every Sunday most like uh, most often all of Sunday uh, to watch um, their favorite uh, football team they make many financial contributions to their team um, they even wear a particular like uniform or type of clothing that adheres to the standards of their football team and they even make many uh, significant sacrifices to their football gods, perhaps in the form of gambling. Then there are people uh, who uh, are dedicated to like the goddess of beauty. Uh, they will torture and uh, put their bodies through uh, a lot of pain uh, to, to look beautiful. They will pay hundreds or maybe even thousands of dollars uh, to please the goddess of beauty and they might even judge or look down on others if they don't worship the goddess of beauty like they do then of course you have the more traditional uh, religious people uh, who are extremely rigorous about their rules about their religious rules if in order for you to be a true Christian uh, you must dress a certain way in order for you to be a true Christian, you must believe all of the same things that I believe. You must value all the same values that I have. And you have to do all the same activities that I do. And you have to avoid these certain hobbies or habits. 
and that's how you are a true believer. So being religious is not just restricted to those who adhere to a traditional or institutionalized religion in many ways. Many people. Uh, I would argue that like most Americans are extremely religious, just packaged in different ways. So what Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians uh, centuries ago or you know uh, 2,000 years ago is just as relevant if not more relevant to us today. In order to be rid of religiosity, um, we have to know what true substance is. Okay, religiosity is like the shadow um, and true substance uh, is the thing that God actually wants us to pursue. And so what do I mean by religion? Okay, um, the dictionary gives several different versions of this word religion. Um, uh, and, and so I kind of like put some of those things together, put some of those definitions together, shortened it, paraphrased it, and for the purposes uh, of today, for understanding what religion really is. Religion is a man-made set of beliefs, laws, and customs. Religion is a man-made set of beliefs, laws, and customs. God did not invent religion. God invented relationships. This is evident from the very beginning of Scripture. When God created Adam, it was just the two of them. And uh, God hung out with Adam uh, in the Garden of Eden. God showed Adam you know, the different rivers. Uh, God taught Adam about the difference between good and evil. And then God said, uh, it is not good for man to be alone. And so God created uh, a friend, a partner for Adam. God created Eve. Um, and so God created uh, man uh, and man had a relationship with God. Then God created a woman. Then the woman had a relationship with the man and they both had a relationship with God. And so from the very beginning of humanity, God wanted us, designed for us to be relational beings. And this is before um, Adam and Eve like screwed everything up and like there was the fall. Um, and so that's the way it was supposed to be before everything got messed up. Um, and that's the way it's supposed to be for all eternity. That we are created for relationships. To have a relationship with God, to have a relationship with each other, with our neighbors, with those who are like in our a sphere of influence within our realm and to even have a relationship with ourselves to know ourselves well and to know ourselves better and if you really stop and think about it okay if you really stop and think about it the only two things in life that are eternal are our, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other the only two things in life that are eternal our, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. We're not going to take anything here on earth with us. We're not going to take our clothes. We're not going to take our money. We're not going to take any, anything. The only two things that are eternal um, is our relationship with God and our relationship with others. 
we are created for a relationship and that is what true substance is relationship so uh, going back to the book of colossians uh, paul wrote this letter to the colossians to free them from the bondage and burden of religion okay to free them from the bondage and burden of religion and so he says um, in the beginning of today's passage do not let anyone judge you for what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival a new moon celebration or a sabbath day these are a shadow of things that were to come so paul isn't necessarily saying that like doing these things or participating in these things are good or bad uh, he's simply saying like don't let anyone judge you because you do these things or because you don't do these things okay that's not what faith is all about that's not what following god is all about that's not what life is really about what's really important is relationships relationships and so what are some of those key differences between religion and relationships okay well first and foremost religion is based on law and relationship is based on love religion is based on law and relationship is based on love throughout Jesus's ministry what Jesus was trying to do when he was here on earth and uh, doing the work and healing people and teaching about the kingdom of God and 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 loving people okay what he was really trying to do was build relationships build relationships with others and then uh, help them and show them how they can have a relationship with God and this was one of the reasons why Jesus was so antagonistic towards certain religious leaders okay there were um, various different groups or kinds of different religious leaders people uh, groups called like the Pharisees or the Sadducees um, there was also the very high priest the Jewish high priest and there were also scribes or, or teachers okay and the reason why Jesus was often antagonistic towards these religious leaders or these groups of people was because they were teaching uh, that they were saying like laws are what's most important not love laws these religious leaders taught that it was the laws that make a person good and what Jesus was showing us is that it's actually love it's all about love not that l loving others is what makes us good it's because God loved us this fly that keeps bothering me uh, it's that God loves us so that we could love other people it's all about relationships it's all about relationships and in verse 17 it says uh, these are a shadow of things to come the reality however is found in Christ and what Christ modeled for us is love you see religion merely mimics what is good while Jesus in his example of love shows us what truly is good religion merely mimics what is good while Jesus through his example of love shows us what truly is good 
um, looking back on my ministry career so far, I recognize that I, I pastored a lot of uh, young people. And, um, you know, I started off doing youth ministry and I uh, worked uh, with a lot of teenagers. And then after that, I did young adult ministry, a lot of uh, young adults in their like 20s and early 30s. And one of the biggest struggles that I realized that uh, young people of faith uh, dealt with was that they often didn't have safe spaces to ask questions like about their faith or about spirituality. They didn't have safe spaces to express some of their doubts that they had. And they weren't given permission to criticize uh, what they've been taught. And when I say criticize, I'm not talking about like just, you know, like uh, saying bad stuff about what they've been taught. It, it you know, being a, a critical thinker means like objectively looking at um, something, okay? And in this example is like objectively looking at the things that they've been taught and, and to ask critical questions. And when young people would bring some of these doubts or questions or like uh, criticisms to their pastor or a priest or their parents or some other sort of a religious authority in their lives, they were often immediately shut down, told things like, oh, you can't think that way. <laughs> Um, you, you, you can't ask those kinds of questions, okay? If, if you truly have faith in God, uh, you can't have any doubt. And hopefully my message from last week regarding faith and doubt kind of uh, disproved that point, that faith and doubt actually uh, can coexist. And in fact, uh, doubt makes faith stronger. Faith cannot exist without doubt, right? And so as people get older, um, they start to think more critically, right? They're becoming smarter and they ask these certain questions. And so because they don't have safe spaces, they haven't had spa safe spaces to ask some of these questions, um, they're, they're, they just walk away from their faith entirely, which is very, very un unfortunate. Now, most of the time, what I'm realizing is that what they're really questioning or criticizing is religion. They don't really question, should we love people? They don't really question whether or not Jesus was loving. Those are not the kinds of things that people are criticizing. Okay, they're criticizing like, well, um, what the Sabbath really look like? You know, um, they're criticizing, is there really a heaven and hell? <laughs> they're criticizing, um, well, why can't gay people get married? Okay, and these are like legitimate questions. Okay, and these are like legitimate questions. Okay, they're, they're asking questions like, well, is, uh, is abortion really, really evil? Uh, where does it say that in scripture? Okay, these are like intelligent, legitimate questions, but because they don't have safe spaces to, to ask these things or like dialogue about these things, they walk away from their faith entirely. But that's not what faith is supposed to be about. It's not about having all the right answers and it's not about following all the rules. If you really stop and think about it, um, you can't really blame a lot of these people for 
asking these types of questions. And you know, I, I, in, in the past, I would get so annoyed when young adults would just, um, as the old saying goes, throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, because they uh, had these kind of uh, issues with Christianity. They just uh, walk away from their faith entirely. There's like so many people who, who did that. But really, it's because they didn't have safe spaces to wrestle with these things. And that's part of what it means to grow in faith, is to start wrestling and struggling with uh, your former beliefs or what you thought were so true in the past. And they have to walk away from their faith because they feel spiritually stuck and there's nowhere to go. They feel spiritually stuck and there's nowhere to go. And this was one of the reasons why like, I felt compelled to start Perch is to create some of these safe spaces which is why our mission statement is to be a hospitable community for spiritual wanderers. Spiritual wanderers are people who have those questions, who have those doubts, who have those criticisms. And uh, little do most people know that Jesus was also very critical. In fact, Jesus broke a lot of rules. If religion is based on law, Right? And Jesus is all about love. Um, Jesus, Jesus pissed off a lot of religious leaders because he broke the rules a lot. Okay? And remember, religion is a man-made set of beliefs, laws, and customs. And Jesus went against the status quo many, many times throughout his ministry. Jesus went uh, against a lot of those man-made laws and customs. For example, Jesus worked on the Sabbath day, meaning uh, he healed people on Saturdays. And a lot of those like Jewish religious leaders were like really upset about that. But for Jesus, what's more important is relationship. And remember, relationship is based on love. And because Jesus loved these people who were sick or um, outcast, he would heal them. He would heal them on the Sabbath, which was like breaking the rules. Another example is that Jesus often interacted and even touched unclean people. Unclean people meaning like people who had like chronic health conditions or um, some sort of like uh, lifelong like uh, illness. And uh, Jews weren't permitted to do that, okay? Especially rabbis, especially rabbis. Um, Jesus touched sick people or unclean people all the time, all the time. And, and this is what's like most controversial uh, in the first century. Jesus often befriended and uplifted women and children. Women and children back then were uh, really like uh, second-class citizens. Okay, women uh, had a lot of, um, it was a very chauvinistic culture for like most of human history. Our world was, uh, is very like chauvinistic and, um, and kind of anti-women. Yet Jesus befriended and uplifted women. Likewise, uh, children were seen as like a nuisance uh, in the first century, and they didn't really interact with men. Okay, children and women were separate. They were together, but they didn't uh, uh, interact with men. Uh, yet when children would come to Jesus, um, and, you know, a, a lot of, um, even his own disciples would, like, try to separate the children from Jesus. 
Jesus would say things like, let the children come for the kingdom of God or for those such as these. Let the children come to me. Jesus didn't break the rules simply to piss off religious leaders or because he wanted to like stand out from the crowd. He broke the rules because the religious leaders were missing the point. The kingdom of God is all about love. Which is why Jesus said um, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about love. Our faith is all about love. If religion gets in the way of us loving God or loving our neighbor, um, that's not the kind of religion that God wants. If religion gets in the way of loving God or loving our neighbor, that's not the kind of religion God wants. If Jesus didn't break so many rules, the world would be far more legalistic than it is today. I mean, it's still pretty legalistic, but it would be even worse. If Jesus didn't break so many rules, people who are sick, have disabilities, or have chronic health conditions would be treated with far less dignity than they are today. And if Jesus didn't break so many rules, women and children would still be treated like second-class citizens. So religion is about law while relationship is about love. Second, uh, religion is about performance while relationship is about expression. Religion is about performance and relationship is all about expression. Um, I don't know about you all, but um, I grew up with parents who were kind of messed up. They were kind of sadistic. They would often make me do things I, I didn't want to do. One of these things were uh, perform um, in front of their friends whenever they would have like friends come over. Um, this is when I was like much younger, um, when I was like in elementary, uh, elementary school. And uh, once in a while they would have like friends come over to our home and uh, they, you know, sure enough they'd be like drinking or like, and uh, they would say things like, oh, my son has like a beautiful singing voice. You should really hear him sing. And, you know, I was in the choir in my elementary school at the time. So, um, you know, in the middle of the night, my, <laughs> my, my dad would drag me out of bed and like in his um, uh, drunken uh, rage, he would like yell at me like, sing, sing. I'm like, oh, God, I really don't want to do this. He'd be like, sing, sing. And so I'll go, fine. Mary had a little lamb, little lamb. <laughs> and um, I, I just had to like get over with. I just had to get it over with. You know, I, I, I hated doing it, right? I really, I felt obligated to do it. Um, and I just did it to like make my dad happy. <laughs> this is what performance is. Okay, this is what performance is. And this is what religion often feels like. You have to do it because you have to make daddy happy or you have to do it because you're, um, it's the rule or it's, you know, you're obligated to do it. Um, and this is kind of what Apostle Paul 
describes in verse 18. He says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions of unspiritual mind. They put on this uh, false humility. Okay, They brag about how godly they are. And they think they're like hot stuff because um, they're somewhat knowledgeable. Um, but in reality, these things are not spiritual at all. It's actually all about putting on a performance. They're trying to impress people with their godliness. It's, it's a performance. In many ways, religion is kind of performative. Okay, Wearing the right clothes, saying the right words, acting the right way. Okay, And I know all of this because... I used to do this, okay? And there's still some like lingering habits, right? That are uh, stuck in me and that I hate to admit that I still do, right? And there's this like sense of uh, performance that I need to convey um, that I'm still trying to unlearn, okay? I'm still trying to unlearn a lot of those things, okay? Um, but it's really, when, it, when, it, when it really comes down to it, like religion is about performance, but relationship, it comes from this like heartfelt place. It comes from sincerity and kind of going back to um, the first point, okay, it comes from this place of love. We give, we share, uh, we care for others, and we uh, worship God um, because we love, not out of obligation or because we're trying to perform, okay? And love is expression, okay? Love is expression. I think even in like romantic relationships, like, um, women tend to be a little bit more perceptive of these things right like is this guy just trying to like perform for me or is he truly expressing love because if he's trying to perform for if, if, a, if a guy is trying to perform for uh, a girl in a romantic or it could be the other way around too right it could be a girl for a guy or um, even in like uh, gay relationships right um, it, it goes both ways right people can tell if you're just simply trying to perform or if it's genuinely uh, an expression of love. And the big difference is if you're trying to perform, you want to get something in return. Right? If you're trying to perform, you want to get something in return. And oftentimes, I hate to say this, but with guys, it's mostly just like one thing. Let me, uh, the sun is glaring right here. I'm going to move this a little bit. Nope. Worse. Okay. That's better. Um, I'm sorry to say this, but like oftentimes with guys is mostly one thing. They're performing, they're acting like they love and care for uh, a person because they're really after like one thing, right? That's performance. But if it's expression and it's a genuine form of expression, they're not necessarily wanting anything back in return. It's just, I, I just want to give this to you. I just want to do this for you. I just want to spend time with you because I just, I love you. And I just want to express that. There's a big difference. Uh, maybe on the surface it looks the same, but there's a big difference between performance and expression. Similarly, um, last but not least, religion is about earning while relationship is about acceptance. Religion is about earning while relationship is about acceptance. 
Let me read verses uh, 20 through 22. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are designed, uh, that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. This kind of proves the point that uh, religion is a man-made set of beliefs, laws, and customs. If you really stop and think about it, okay, you can only be in a loving relationship with someone whom you accept, truly for who they are. If you really stop and think about it, you can only be in a loving relationship with someone whom you truly accept as they are. They don't have to earn their right to be in a relationship with you. That's not loving. That's not loving. You cannot be in a loving relationship with someone whom you don't accept. If someone wants to be your friend, but you say to this person, okay, you can only be my friend if you like the same movies, if you wear this type of clothing, if you make this amount of money, then we can be homies, then we can be friends. That's not loving, okay? That's not a loving relationship, okay? Uh, relationships, a loving relationship cannot exist without acceptance. A loving relationship cannot exist without acceptance. This is what's beautiful about what God did for us. He accepted us as we are. He didn't demand that we change. He didn't demand that we make certain amount of sacrifices. He didn't demand that we have to live a certain way before calling us His beloved children. God accepts us as we are. This is why He gave us uh, Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Uh, this is why He gave us His Word so that we could know Him better. This is why God gave us the Holy Spirit so we can continue to grow in our relationship with God through Her guidance and through Her voice. And this is why God gave us prayer because He wants to know us even more intimately. God wants to know us and accept us. Um, as we're thinking, as we're in this season of Lent, I, I've been thinking about, you know, this season of Lent that we're in, um, particularly because when we started um, this Lent series, uh, and, you know, I often try to um, film outside. Last week I had to film inside because it was, like, rainy all weekend. Um, but when I started filming outside, like, it was actually, like, really cold because it was in the middle of February and all of that stuff. Um, uh, now we're, in, we're about to enter spring. Uh, we have to do uh, daylight savings and all that. Uh, and so Lent is kind of like an interesting season, okay? Um, it's kind of like this uh, season of tension. It's a season of tension. Um, it starts in the middle of winter and ends in springtime. Um, it's the time when Jesus is like getting closer and closer to his 
uh, arrest and torture and crucifixion. Um, and it's kind of like the epitome of the clash between the kingdom of God, which is about relationship, and then the kingdom of the world, which is about religion. And as followers of Jesus, I think God actually invites us and invites us to enter into this tension. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ in this world that we live in. While many people are living very religiously, uh, Jesus invites us to live relationally, relationally with God, relationally with our neighbors, and relationally with even ourselves to know ourselves better. So, oh gosh, this light keeps following me. <laughs> uh, so in closing, um, I wanted to leave us with this. How is God inviting you into a deeper relationship with God, with your neighbors, or with yourself? How is God inviting you into a deeper relationship with God, with your neighbors, or with yourself? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this season. I thank you so much for our critical minds. I thank you so much for entering into this world and modeling for us what it means to be relational people rather than religious people. To follow you into that place of tension where we are trying to live relationally with you, with our neighbors and even with ourselves while the rest of the world lives very religiously whether they adhere to that label or not. Most people in this world are very religious, even if they don't know it. So help us, Lord, to live more relationally and to follow Jesus' example of um, living out of love. Lord, thank you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Have a blessed week.